Hey, Luke, how you doing? Hey, I'm in a good mood. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm drinking wine. Oh, what brought that on? That's not carnivore approved. No, I'm drinking wine because of my crappy life right now. But other than that, everything's okay. Okay, there you go. Yep, just just wanted to double check. <laughs> Moving on. Do, 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 Does it do, seem do, like I've lost weight? Uh, I don't know, because I can just see your face. Do you think your face is thinner? I, a little bit. Yeah? Nice. A little bit. I always do this thing bit. where I pinch my uh, stomach fat as it makes its downward journey. And I'm always like, nah, I can get too much in my hand this day. Uh, I'm definitely uh, gaining a couple pounds. So with the car- are, you st- are you still doing carnivore? Mm-hmm. Do you feel good? I feel fantastic. Good. Today was Good. today was an interesting day because, uh, so yeah, today was an interesting day for a lot of emotional reasons that are work related. That makes me sad. But outside of all that stuff, um, I ate six hard boiled eggs. So I go to H E B and they have hard boiled eggs already shelled. What do they say to you when you get when you get six? Are they like, oh, no, no, no? It just comes in a pre made bag, uh. and it costs like two fifty for cage free pastured eggs so i get six of them or i get i get a bag and then i get iodized salt and i throw them together and that's my lunch uh then i breathe on people and they run away from me nice and then for dinner i was so dang hungry i ended up having i have this like super low sugar peanut butter that i'll eat and the um you know like the no sugar added stuff and then i have uh whole whole fat plain greek yogurt so it has like 16 grams of car of protein and like two carbs or three carbs. So I just say, okay, well, I'll eat that instead of other stuff. That's like my sweet tooth thing. And that works? Uh, yeah. That's like my, like oftentimes for Friday. Fridays are hard doing carnivore and being meatless. <laughs> so usually from Thursday dinner. But to, Vatican too. <laughs> yeah. From Thursday dinner to Friday. <laughs> uh Vatican II said you still have to give up meat, and if you can't give up yeah, meat, then did. you make an, uh, a, an adjoining sacrifice. Listen, I didn't do it for two-thirds of my life. I'm fine. <laughs> That's it. Moral laxity to the rescue. No. Uh, no, so what I'll do is, um, like, Shannon can't eat. Like, she can't. She can physically not stomach seafood. So I'll eat seafood. I'll eat, you know, there's different stuff that I can eat. But I'll generally, if I do eat a meal, I'll eat, like, a double portion of yogurt just to tide me over till Saturday. There you, there, you, there you go. Then bacon and eggs first thing in the morning, Saturday. There you go. A lot of people that do the carnivore diet end up being accidentally OMAD one meal a day. Oh, Gomer, what's OMAD? One meal a day. Sorry. I already said was that. that. A, was, no, no, no. Oh, already meal, said oh, one meal a day. I see. Sorry. Yeah, because I they wasn't eat. paying attention in right. the first place. No, I know. So I was I mean, like, you oh, ask a question a and you stop listening. And oh. I get it. I get it. I've been on this show <laughs> for mean, 260 all I wanted was episodes. Like a, all I wanted was like a 10-second like, update, and they just started. I could tell by your tone. I was like, oh. <laughs> I'm just kidding. God, I hate you so much. <laughs> no, I'm good. No. Diet's going well. It's been hard. I've I've cheated a couple times, but the idea is you hit 90, 95%, you're good to go. Has the weight loss stuff continued or is it has it plateaued? Weight loss and and muscle growth, you can't really see it on here, but I got a divot. I've never I've never had biceps before and now I have biceps. You have biceps. Are you doing your workouts and stuff? Uh, you know. Yeah, mostly. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, listen. 
Um, have you checked your blood pressure or done a- any blood work? I haven't, but Shannon has. She actually has her blood work due tomorrow. Shannon's been more strict on it than I have because okay. she had a I, candida, so she had to do an anti-candida diet. She actually had some pretty epic health stuff, and it was a violent yeah, reaction to eggs, and that. then she had the candida diet. So in doing that, they're just like, well, if you're allergic to eggs, you can't have that on the candida diet. So all you have left is dairy, and Shannon's like, dairy does not do well with me. They're like, okay, well, enjoy meat. And so she's like, okay, back on the carnivore hardcore. So she's lost a lot of weight. And she does uh, Good. those, uh, what do you call it? What do you call it when you work out with a group of people and they yell at you the whole time? Boot camp. Uh, boot, oh, that's <laughs> I was all. like, isn't it funny? We're both like, uh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. You lost me at workout. Uh, Class? <laughs> No, but she, um, the gyms aren't fully open like normal. And so the wellness center is at the Y. And so they do like outdoor boot camps and it's like 95 degrees outside. I do have some stuff to talk about here today, but let's just do some Billy Boy. I, I, actually, I, th- I think we should ha- come up with a name. You know, we've only been doing this for f- for five years. So we should uh, have a segment where we do a little bit of a follow-up. Because we typically have some kind of follow-up that I think would be worth talking about. So what should we, if we could give well, our follow You gave name. it a name. You gave it a name a long time I, ago. No, I called it Take Luke to the Woodshed. Which is very spiritual. And religious. <laughs> but not religious. No, 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 no. <laughs> uh, it's okay. It's okay. We yeah, were close. We, we were, were close. Closer than, than the crunch would be. <laughs> I hate those guys. Uh, uh, they're not I feel Christian. bad. I don't want to crap with them because they're, they're such nice guys. Um, Whatever. Yeah, listen. <laughs> uh, um, they've got to compensate somehow, if you know what I mean. Um, so I'd like to give you just a little bit of follow-up from our, our, our last episode. And I just really appreciated this. I thought this was very uh, – this is from, uh, I would say, uh, becoming – I'm a friend of the podcast, uh, as I forget her name. Taylor Marshall. Believe it's yeah over my dead body. What a douchebag. Okay, we'll get to that soon. We'll <laughs> like get to I that just... soon. <laughs> Unspeakable. Oh, Unspeakable. give me a second. Sorry. Um there it is. So from our last episode, episode uh, 247, um, uh, uh, Laughter and Nostalgia, uh, this is from friend of the podcast, Moira. Are you listening or did you just vanish? No, I'm listening. Okay, good. If you look at the Wikipedia, I'm on a list of, she always has like really interesting insights. If you look at, this is from... Um, our Patreon page, patreon.com slash CF, patreon.com slash CF. So while you were just describing it and you were trying to find her name, I wrote, I bet you he's talking about Moira. And I wrote that. Oh, on my you're so smart. Yeah. If you look at the Wikipedia on the list of unsolved mysteries of, of biology, which, which is fascinating, BD dubs, the origins and the point of laughter are currently unknown. But it is, but it is a universally acknowledged as beneficial and wonderful. It is literally healing. Therefore, I believe it is a particularly gratuitous gift from God. So by making us laugh, you are perpetuating a healing. I forgot how to pronounce perpetuating. You <laughs> are perpetuating a healing gift from God. Way, way to go. Exclamation point. And I really appreciated that because I, I think it's very, um, and this kind of ties into what I wanted to talk about today but i but um i will say right now heavy times right now heavy 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 times um it is sometimes very hard to laugh during heavy times sometimes it's very easy to laugh during heavy times yeah but i think it is necessary 
regardless. And we didn't do that intentionally last week. It just was is what kind of happened. Yeah. And it was really therapeutic for me. Yeah. I was it's the best I felt walking away from this podcast in a while. And I think that's important to keep in mind. I absolutely want to get to the stuff. I want to talk about the statues and I want to talk about the continual protests and just the mess that is everything. But I if we don't remember to laugh or if we don't take time to laugh or to enjoy or to find joy and miss the hardships, it's very easy to lose your humanity. So I just wanted to, I thought that was a really great insight from her. I agree. I loved it when she wrote that. And I love it because, like, I, I was thinking about this all last week after we posted that episode. If you don't constantly talk about the problems, are you hiding from the problems, ignoring the problems, allowing the problems to sneak by and go unmet and injustices perpetuate? But then I don't want to be like a John Stewart type where... The world's problems are the things I mock all the time or have fun of. And I also don't want to be that guy that always takes pot shots at the other side or whatever it might be. Because that just sounds so boring to me. And it sounds so you know, divisive, blah, blah, blah. But it just sounds boring to me. Like, that doesn't sound like fun or life-giving or anything. And so periodically, like, I struggle with, like, the guilt over, like, hey, do we have a serious episode or do did we do too much funny stuff and now we got to get back or, you know, to us funny. And now we got to get back to the serious stuff. I do struggle with that, but I thought her, her post was great. Yeah. And I, don't, I mean, it probably wasn't really even all that funny to most, most people, but, but uh, it was to her and that's all that matters. <laughs> that's all that matters. So yeah, I just, uh, uh, yeah. So this has been this week's, uh, I don't have, I don't have anything else for take Luke to the woodshed. Do you, do you have anything? No. No, no, no. I think we've taken Luke to the woodshed, and now Luke can come out and entertain us. Here we are now. Entertain us. Got a podcast. It's contagious. <laughs> is there something interfering with your happiness, or is it preventing you from achieving your goals? Well, I started going to therapy probably about maybe four months ago, maybe three months ago, and I just kind of realized that healing is something that the Lord wants us to receive, but healing is always an invitation from God. Quite often, he asks people to, to you know take a step out. We have to take action, and a great way to do that is through a group called BetterHelp. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. How about that? You can start communicating in just under almost 48 hours. It is not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is, it is professional counseling done securely online. The service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime, and I'm going to send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and I'm a thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule a weekly video or phone obsession so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. Those are weird, as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to um, facilitating great therapeutic matches so that they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available, so that's great, unlike some colleges. BetterHelp wants you to start on living a happier life today. Go to BetterHelp.com slash foxes that's h-e-l-p again betterhelp.com slash foxes you're going to get 10 percent off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash foxes i honestly like just through uh, people in my uh, own life that i know have really enjoyed i'm using better help so if you're I'm thinking about doing this i really encourage you to do so they are great to work with and we can get you 10 10 off 
by going to betterhelp.com slash slash foxes. Sorry, that's just um, one slash. That was my speech impediment. Betterhelp.com slash foxes. Thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode of Catching Foxes. Do you know he'd be like almost 60 years old? <laughs> Kurt Cobain no. would be almost 60? No, I'm sorry. Kurt Cobain. I know that's not true. That's not true. Kurt Cobain would be 53 right now. <laughs> so that means Courtney Love is like 53 something. Yes, he'd be 53. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. I feel bad. Like when you get to the heart of most of most rock stars, I just pity them. Mm-hmm. Like uh, so many of them at their peak are just like cracked out yeah. drug addicts who lead what seems to be miserable lives. That's why and I, I think of like them. the guys from Metallica. You know, they have not slowed their pace at all. While their albums might not be as amazing as their original, you know, Master Puppets, Ride the Lightning, uh, the Black Album, um, they still make, and they can still cover all of those songs. They can still do all of those songs. They're incredible. And yet, they the, the funny thing is, like, in order to do that, you got to treat it like a job. Like you were talking about years ago when we were talking about comedy and you're a, you like, you're like a student of comedy. Like there comes a part where the writing of or the telling of jokes is not, Hey, you're the funny guy at Thanksgiving who makes all the relatives laugh. This is my job. I got to crank, right? Crank, 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 crank. And it's like, if you want to survive as a human person and simultaneously be a rock star, something's got to give. You can't keep doing like you were doing when you were 19 years old, you know? Yeah. And I just yeah. wonder, does that steal away some of the passion, you know, of rock and roll, which is a pure libidinistic art form? You know, I don't think so because, like, so I'm going to actually kind of compare this to non um, nonprofits. Most people say, like, the pay is the work that you do. And to that I say bullshit. But <laughs> I'd um, like more, please. <laughs> Please, <laughs> I would have some money. I like. I'm gonna keep some in a um, jar by the door, but I would like some more. That's where you come in. <laughs> what is that Sorry, from? That was very, that's from the um, the wedding singer. I'd like some more. That's where you come in. Where he's, he's interviewing for a job with uh, a bank, and it is Kevin Nealon. Oh, he goes. <laughs> I, I have some. I keep it in a jar by the door, but I'd like some more. That's where you come in. Use use own that take as opposed to the other one. I was stuttering too much before. Oh, so, Luke, I edit out all your stutters. People don't even know you stutter. No one. <laughs> I go to a tenth of a second. It's fine. No, I'm just kidding. I know. No, you're fine. Okay. Um, screw you. Do you want to talk about that or do you want me to keep going with what we were saying before? I don't mind. No, saying before. To pivot. Oh, um, oh, oh, yeah. Okay. So it's passion is what like, that's not what maintains you. That's what like helps you walk through the door. Yeah. For most people at non-profits, and I would imagine, like, I, th- I think this is true for us with what we're doing here, uh, with other things, what really makes it worthwhile and what keeps you there is, like, doing good stuff and doing good and doing good work. And that takes work, that takes um, effort, that takes, um, you need to have a precision, you need to be persistent. It's a thing that you have to do. It just doesn't have, like, again, I think passion is, I actually think passion is more important than umla discipline. I think passion makes, will, will, like, um, passion plus just being there every time, like, begets 
discipline, I think. Like, I still think we're, we are, for the most part, somewhat emotionally driven oh, yeah. in the sense that, I, I like, there's this great Art of Manliness article where he's like, I've, he, where he talks about he's coming around to the idea that, like, at, like actually discipline doesn't really exist. Hmm. And it's and he, and he goes through this whole thing about how, like, for the most part, when we're actually being, like, disciplined about things, it's fear avoidance or it's, you know, pain avoidance that is coming across as discipline. Hmm. So where we and, and just like one way to re, like kind of if you like and he and he started to see like where he was I, I totally forget all 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 of all of the all of the examples he used but it, but it was fascinating so let me just say that he's just kind of saying that passion real passion real passion and effort actually that's what brings about um, real um, discipline. So, so like you can have um, little people who say they have a hard time like going into the like um work or their job or really committing to things but they have a thing that they really care about they show up for that thing yeah why is that yeah why can they have all these other areas where they quote unquote like neglect it and they you know like oh and, and they do lack discipline but then this one thing they don't that is a whole other conversation but but my point though is that um passion gets you in the door what keeps you there is like the work that you do and how well you do it and how much you work on it that's why I think most people leave nonprofits is really it's not because they don't care and it's really not even the money quite often though that really is the case at times it's more a really poor culture of where of like where they work mm. and uh, and where there's unfocused and where they don't understand like you know the worst thing about any job honestly I think the worst like the, like the most miserable you can be in a job is when you go and there's no point to you being there or your point of or your your work is so undefined that it's almost impossible to to do uh, and i think yeah. the really this is i'm going to bring it back just 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 to this and then i will turn it over to you when it when you when you when you look at these really good rock stars who are able to like make a career out of it they have the passion for it but what keeps them there is they approach it like a like a craftsman or like an artist, but someone who has to go in every day and they have to do the work to make this happen. Yeah. And that's what I think you're really, the people who have a lot of longevity, they, it's the passion that, like, that brings them there, but it's the work done well that, that keeps them there. Yeah, and that's, I think craft is where the art and the science of a thing meet. You know what I mean? Like, the craft is where I've developed such skill at a thing that my raw talent talent and passion is, like, honed, right? And so the art and the science kind of behind it. I Yeah, I wouldn't say that it's necessarily the art because I think there is a difference between art and craftsmanship. Like, so, um, to me, art is when you have a thing to say. And, you're, and this is a piece that is trying to represent, a, like, you're trying to make a statement, you're trying... To like represent a thing, I think the Beatles when they're doing "Love Me Do," they're not trying to make a statement about anything. That's like that's the example of a craftsmanship. Where I think take something like a Sergeant Pepper, that's more an artistic statement. Yeah, okay. But I think it's like someone like Paul McCartney is more of a crafts more of a craftsman than he is than he is an artist because he's been doing some really cool stuff um, recently o- over the past t- 10 years like he did this album of like old um like uh, old like jazz songs that's really cool but it's definitely this is a um, craftsman approach to it it's not an artistic statement or anything like that that's all i just wanted to make a i wanted to throw in a quick 
Au contraire. There was a uh, sociological study where they took a bunch of men, they gave them a bunch of money, and they had them dig a hole for the first six hours of the, of the day, or the first four hours of the day. They gave them a lunch break, and then they had them fill in that hole with the dirt that they just scooped out for the next four hours, and they had them do that. And it was, so it was like utterly meaningless, like in-your-face meaningless work. And they told the men that if they uh, kept doing it, they would double their pay every week, and like no one lasted past week two. Even though they were making, you know, comparatively speaking, an insane amount of money for unskilled labor, they couldn't stand it. It was like so insulting to them. And they were like, meaning, especially in your work, actually matters. Yeah. And like, even if it seems like it's, you know, um, I've heard things about like the depression that people fall into when they have a job and they realize their job doesn't like doesn't matter. And it, you know, pays well. Yeah. Like somewhere they're just like, you know, I just type in I type in stuff to an an Excel spreadsheet for this, you know, company with 10,000 employees. And like if your job's kind of part of that bureaucratic or that like, you know, awkward um, growth where it really kind of um, doesn't matter and you can tell that it's actually horrible. It's like horribly undepressing compared to someone who works a construction job that does, you know, you know, pay less. But they see like the fruit of their labor. Yeah. You're doing something honorable. You're building a house. That's honor. That's my impression of Matt Damon in uh, Goodwill Hunting. <laughs> He's a bricklayer. That's honorable. That's not. It's terrible. I don't know how to do it. How do you do Boston accent? You just drop out I your can't R's, do one. right? The uh, the uh, Harvard cars parked over by by the yard. The Harvard cars parked over by the yard. Actually, the like only way I know how to do it is to really say a word that I don't like. So, yeah, we'll avoid that. Yeah, like uh, I, um, when when uh, Scott first took uh, his wife, this is my buddy Scott. When he first, uh, who was on the podcast way way back in the early days, when he, when he first took his uh, wife to a bar out of out 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 in Boston, where 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 he's from, he, they were just like they just kept saying it. Everyone was just saying this phrase over and over and over again with whatever they said. What was the phrase? I'm not going to say it because I, I I'll bleep you, it out. I'll bleep we'll, it out. Okay, they're like you. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, just over. Yeah, they were like they just kept. Everyone was saying it all night wherever we went. Yeah, that's a Matt Damonism right there for you. Yeah, they were, he was like, I forgot that everyone says that. <laughs> but I don't like that word. So no, no, I can't tell that you do. <laughs> I have a few. Should we dive into the stuff? Yeah, let's dive into the stuff. All right. So I wanted to talk today a little bit about um, a few things. I wanted to talk about the statues, of course. I think that's actually very important to have a reasonable discussion about. I want, but first, I want to talk about uh, an article that uh, was in the Harvard Business uh, um, Review that um, I think is really interesting. It basically was talking about how, and, and I saw it through um, this through this fundraising email. Um, email list that Aaron had shared with me that uh, talked about about this article. We're all not doing very well, <laughs> and that's and they were doing this study and they found that uh, like when stuff like this goes on, you you tend to go through three different phases. Phase one is you persevere. So that's us when we had our podcast and um, and um, we were like, well, I'm going to learn Latin. I'm going to read blah, blah, blah. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to, you know, work out, go on runs, all that good stuff. 
And then like a week into it or two weeks into it, it kind of like go and he kind of goes away. And what happens is after you have the perseverance, like people's like productivity tends to increase and, and stuff. Everything's, you know, like, wow, I'm actually doing pretty well. Then a weird thing happens. You actually regress, fall into old addictions, fall into bad habits. You fall into the coping stuff that you're like, holy crap, this isn't very good. You, you know, like eat a lot. You drink a lot. Uh, you watch too many movies. You read too many books. You do things that you do the stuff in excess that kind of like hurts you. And you actually regress. You feel like you are regressing as a person. Yeah. Which I think is where a lot of us are right now. And then the third part is you actually recover. I don't think we're in phase three yet for the most part. I think most people are in phase two where we are still uh, regressing or we are, you know, in that or like in the regression. And we all, all of us, even the racist, need to go a little easy on the other. <laughs> even the racist. <laughs> like, like we need, I don't know what that looks like, or even, like, really, I think just, just ourselves. But understand that, like, we're going through some shit right now. And, like, the human brain, your brain's been trying to cope for a long time. And that's hard with everything that's going on. And it's really, and then you throw in every, I was just, I'm talking to um, a friend who has a really good family friend who has cancer, who has, uh, who has brain cancer, doesn't have a lot of time left. And just having to throw that on top of everything that's going on. And then you have the riots that are going on. You have, you know, people who are experiencing lifelong systematic um, racism. Of course, this is going to explode right now as well. It should, but like people can only take so much stuff before they're going to just like, they're going to explode. Like we're going to lose it, a, we're going to lose it a, a bit, and like we need to, f- like we need, to, especially as it relates to how we treat ourselves, be aware of that. Yeah, I mean, you can't tell people stay at home for months and not think you're going to get a powder keg. I mean, you saw it within like like week three, like domestic violence was skyrocketing. I don't know if you knew that. Like it, it was skyrocketing. People people do not do well. Most people do not do well on their own or with their families with no outlet ever. And you throw in unemployment, you throw in all that stuff. Everyone is looking for someone to blame. And that's the most dangerous thing right now, right? This is like the night of broken glass, right? I mean, this is just unfiltered rage brought on by, like, I mean, just extreme. I mean, everything, that's what I'll say. Everything is extreme now. Our loneliness is extreme. Our suicides are extreme. Mm -hmm. We make TV shows glorifying the suicide of a high school student. Like, everything we do is extreme now. And I think that's, uh, I don't know. To me, and I hate to say this, this quarantine was a blessing. It slowed me down. It caused me to reprioritize stuff. I had to dip into my savings a little bit, but we ended up being okay. And you know what? I have a better relationship with my kids because of this. I'm not, like, everything's awful. All, I mean, there's so much awfulness, but my family got closer. And that's what matters more to me 
than anything else in the world. And I don't think I could have allowed it to get closer unless my schedule changed. I think right now my biggest priority, which I already screwed up, but I think right now my biggest priority is to only allow one event a month and that's it. There was at some points where I was doing like three weekends in a row. Yeah, you're doing a lot. Yeah. And I do it because I keep telling myself you're not going to have enough. You're not going to have enough. You're not going to have enough. You have to make X amount of dollars in order to have your wife stay at home. You're not going to have enough. You're not going to have enough. Another surgery, another surgery, another this, another that. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. you freak out so much, or you freak yourself out so much. I mean, yeah, like, this taught me that I have enough. It'll be okay. I have gigs waiting for me, just like, hey, when we find out when we can open our church again, we're having you back for the parish mission. And I, I just booked another parish mission in February. Like, okay, I don't need to overdo it. I just need to do it. I don't need to overdo it. I just need to do it. I don't need to kill my kids. And I feel like if I'm going to overdo it, I'm going to take my kids with me. Like, if if I have to be gone twice in one month, you know, Kateri, Cecilia, you're coming with me. And I'm going to have a buddy with me the whole time. And you're going to hate it, but I'm going to love it. <laughs> um, I'm going to love it because it, I, I am desperate for, like, when we do a live show, it's a totally different experience for me as a traveling speaker, even when the live shows are like tacked on to our things, it's a totally different experience because I'm with someone, right? It is super fun. Yeah. I mean, it's super fun, hundred percent, but it's a different experience. Like I can't even describe, I mean, from the moment I get off the plane, no, 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 yeah, no, in a good way. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, it's different, Luke. I like having you around. (laughs) (laughs) I love having someone who drinks too much and snores. Yeah, don't worry. I'll carry you home, Luke. He ain't heavy, father. He's my Luke. Uh, he's my co-host. Co-host. No. Um, <laughs> but being alone, like it's 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 fun for me. It's indulgent, is what it is. It's a luxury. Oh that, yeah, yeah. In, yeah, in yeah, so yeah. many ways, it's a luxury that I don't need. And sometimes or it's, it's a luxury. It's, it's it's a luxury that Shannon can't afford. <laughs> yeah, which is I'm why a, the idea of I'm taking a kid, like I can't take Thomas. But yeah. Thomas and Noah would be perfect in some ways. Like, they would be mesmerized by the airport and the plane ride. Yeah, yeah, And they're yeah, good yeah. enough that they could handle even a four-hour flight with no problem. But Was my Shannon joke, um, not funny? By, by the way, you did not laugh. I was implying that, like, um, you can go and she can't. Yeah. No, that's fine. <laughs> no, I, I got it. <laughs> no, sorry. No, go I'm on. just kidding. But I'm just saying, like, this taught me... Like Gormley, you can breathe. You can breathe. You can breathe. That's good. No, and and it's definitely like I, I'm not saying it's all bad for everyone. Yeah, like you know, this isn't like World War II that we're going through or anything like that. But like, there is just like I mean, for us, it has not been really good in a lot of ways. Um, I think if Aaron had not been pregnant, that probably would be a little bit different. Um, It'd be a lot different, man. You wouldn't have to quarantine tough. yourself as much. You know, oh, yeah, and it's it's the stuff that like. Like, isn't it funny, though, that some of it just becomes the new normal, that hedonic adaptation? Like, yeah, this sucks, but it's I can deal with it. And then you deal with it, and you're like, what was my life like in the past? You know, like, it is funny how quickly I adapted to it, which I thought, like, I thought I wouldn't like it. But now it makes sense to me in the way we've been living our life. I, I have, We have some other issues. We had a lot of issues come out because of this, least of which is, the, you know, week three depression still scares me that scared me that scared me how depressed i got and and shannon do but mostly me like i sank deep into it 
you know. I had a job while other people were furloughed, and you kind of got that little survivor's guilt going on. Yeah, no, t- totally. And then you're yeah. and then you're looking around, and you're like, well, I have a job, but I can only work like three hours a, uh, a day because I also have these kids at home, and we have so much to do, and now we can't, like, mom can't get a break and go and do, you know, even grocery shopping. Like, that's off the table, you know, back back then, back in the before time, back yeah. in the long ago. I got angry back in the long ago. I got angry. Like, do you remember when we, when we were recording? I would just be a dick. Yeah. <laughs> I actually. So you guys don't. I'm know this. You might have the voicemail, but I called and apologized because <laughs> I felt so bad. <laughs> Poor Jason's having to deal with me. Just be like, law. Everything's stupid. I don't believe any of this. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like. Yeah, but it's bad. I mean, the stories that I'm hearing of people being separated from their loved ones in the hospital. Who are, um, it, I, I, it is dis- yeah. it's disgusting. It's disgusting. And I and I I um I uh, have one friend who um you know it's I think it's very hard for her to see these protests happening when she couldn't go to her grandfather's funeral. Yeah, someone that like she loved and really cared about was a huge part of her life. And I, I'm not saying that like she's against the protests. Or I'm not saying that like you know. Um, I'm it's, it's just, you don't even I'm, have I'm to just say anything. Like, yeah, you know, you like, don't have you to. Just see, well, that's I'm, I'm tired of having to qualify. I things, know, but, <laughs> but that's the but, frantic uh, state we're all in. Yeah. Like I, 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 okay, I have spent an epic crap ton of time watching Black Lives Matter videos, and I agree with the sentiment, but I disagree with everything they're doing. You don't burn a city down. You don't do, and I understand. Like that was my point of the episode two weeks ago. Was like there is an element of justifiable rage and destruction, and then there's the the shameless looting. Right, and I can understand that no one listens until you throw a Molotov. But I don't like if you're. I mean, imagine you're a small business owner, and your entire like generations are dependent on this store, and a bunch of stuff that you had nothing to do with. And if you had something to do with, it's the same thing that everyone else in the damn town had something to do with. Right, well, looking the other way, whatever it might be. You're just a shop owner, and you're told. That if you defend your property, you're no different than the guy that knelt on George Floyd's neck. Like this is the, like this is the insanity. Antifa are fascists. They are fasc- They are using violence to silence opposition. I'm not saying black yeah, lives. I'm, f- I'm, I'm, I'm making a distinction here between Black Lives Matter and Antifa. Actually, I'm not a fan of Antifa. No, in the they're slightest. they're fascists. <laughs> yeah. Jackbooted thugs is what they are, and that's a phrase that they used for the fascists in Italy. Jackbooted thugs, the brown shirts, right? This is the black shirts, but there weren't. I mean, like all they want is anarchy. There is a difference between anarchy and justice, and the fact that we don't know what that is terrifies me more than anything else. That's I, I, that you've hit something on the head that I'm actually really and and this is not. I I, I really. I want to make this clear. I'm not critiquing the idea of Black Lives Matter. The, or not the idea, the truth. And, like, the necessary... <laughs> the original thing idea to, behind idea. it. <laughs> well, no, but that, like, the thing that we need to understand and we need to be promote and behind, yeah. the Black Lives Matter and that police brutality in this country and that you have um, systematic... Um, and that all of the systematic like, racism has to die a fiery death. But it has to have justice. Yeah, and vengeance. This of the is mob why I'm coming around just... to the idea of reparations. Okay, I'm really I cannot believe this is coming out of my mouth. Old good old good old Republican Luke. 
There, we have a credit card debt that we have not paid. Like that's just the bottom line. And it has, and you know, the interest may have stopped with the civil rights movement and, you know, and, but like we have a credit card debt that is unpaid and you cannot live your life when that is happening. And you're like, think about a person in debt that has a credit card bill that they're, that they just aren't going to pay. Like what's going to happen to them? They're never really going to get ahead. Right. They're going to think it's behind them, but it's always going to creep back up. And it's going to happen at the worst time possible. And you know who it's going to hurt? It's going to hurt, like, your wife. It's going to hurt your kids. It's going to hurt the people that didn't have anything it's, it's, to do with it. Because before they because before they were around, you didn't take care of it. Yeah. I mean, it's happening now. And That's what we, this is. Like, we, 400 years of people being in chains, of actual um, families, read stories of what it was like when they tore these families apart. And think about what that does to a child. Read the stories about a kid who says, my dad is coming back to, like, there's a story of a kid who starts to scream, he came back, he came back. I, like, I'm told you he came back. And his dad wasn't coming back. His dad was being, um, was being um, led to go be sold at a separate auction. You know, like, and you, and, sorry, okay, I'm getting a little bit on my high horse. I'm almost about to cry. But, like, you just don't free them and go, well, all's well, ends well, right? <laughs> Anyways, see ya. You know, like, yeah. enjoy your servitude that we're leaving you in because we're going to lose the Reconstruction War or, or the Second um, Civil War. We're going to lose that, actually. And so, anyways, my, my, my point, though, being that, like, there's such a lack of justice, and it's everywhere. And it's just, and, like, people's own natures are revolting because of this um, lack of justice. And it is going to end violently if we do not fix this. It is. I feel like it is ending violently. Like, this is what I feel like is. It could be. Is yeah. it. And I feel yeah. like this is it because it's irrational. All of it. It's irrational. All of, all of it. I, I am done defending either side. I'm done trying to find yeah. a disclaimer for justifiable homicide. Did you hear what I'm... A- uh, 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 Raymond Arroyo said about the Trail of Tears. No, what do you say? <sighs> okay, so they're talking about tearing down, tearing down statues, which is a very important conversation, I think, to to have. And they were talking. To, uh, they started talking about how a statue of of Andrew Jackson was torn down. History lesson. And um and. Andrew Jackson was kind of like the Donald Trump of his time. Yeah, he was. And he did a thing called the the Trail of Tears, where over half a million, you had had over, I think it was around 600,000 Native Americans, as well as African slaves and a a couple of other uh, groups, had to walk like 5,000 miles with like, like gross, uh, like, like tons of people died. Gross blankets. They all they got a measles. I mean, just it was awful. All, I'm one of the worst things we have ever done, ever. Now he did it. He he relocated this group because there was a uh, Cherokee attack where they slaughtered in horrific ways about over two over you know 200 people. So Andrew Jackson's response was to then uh, move half a million of these people out. In you know horrific ways, Raymond Arroyo says that's just how it was a different time back then, and it was just saying this is how he justified what Andrew Jackson did. 
trying to say we need to look at the good and the bad. I'm like, dude, it's the trail of tears. There's nothing good about this. Like, <laughs> this this wasn't ju- like what the response we did did not like just war on the theory. The response that we had did not equal um, the violation that occurred by the, by the Cherokee Indians. And I just get sick. I'm like sick to my stomach that the only thing we have to talk, the only um, voices we have that are communicating what I would call traditional values or just, let's just say, Christianity is Fox News. Like I'm re- like because I'm just like that. that you're, you pre- you cannot justify the trail of tears. There's nothing you can say that can justify that. Like. That's right. What sorry, people love saying. a force march halfway across the country where they watch their children slowly die, but uh, yeah, no, this is this is what I was saying, and I and I want to go back to it because I think this is a difficult point, and this is a point that I think is going to make me very unpopular. Nine unarmed African Americans were killed in 2019 by police officers. Nine. Be really careful if, like, if you're going to put out all the facts I'm like that. Be really careful about where you're getting in, those facts. In 2015, that's all I'm going to say. In 2015, because of these, um, in 2015, because of the shootings that were going down, there was widespread police reform on a lot of these actions that were leading to hundreds of deaths, disproportionately African Americans, disproportionately Black Americans were being killed by cops. Now, these are unarmed uh, black men being killed by police officers. They put together, from within the police departments, they put together a new training, new training, and I can't remember right now, sitting in this room, what the, the name of it, but it was an entire training regimen for these cops, and the whole thing was about, what, and you hear this today, like, called the uh, like continuation of... Uh, of of violence or whatever, where you where you slowly escalate and you don't try to just pull out your gun, because that's what they were doing. These men who are overstressed, hyper cynical, maybe have violations against them, and uh, you know maybe they're racist or maybe they're not racist. Maybe they're just assholes, and now they're in a place where their life is threatened, or at least they think it is, and so they escalate. Now they put this thing into practice, and the first year it dropped to thirty five deaths. And then it decreased till nine deaths. Where so, are you getting these numbers from? Like, the only reason why I'm saying that is, like, I get a little annoyed when people, like, like where are those from? Well, okay, so let me ask you, why do you get annoyed? Is it because you hear constantly repeated police are hunting black men down? So this was, let me just finish, and then we can go. Okay, okay. So I had a guy come to me saying he was really upset with something that I had done. And I love this guy, and this guy's a great dude. And he said, the facts don't bear it out. You use you throw around the word systematic racism. The facts don't bear it out. When you talk about the police department and they're unjust, he said the police officers uh, for every one unarmed or did he say unarmed or armed? Uh, for every one like African American that's killed by the police department, eighteen cops are killed. Uh, you're more likely to choke to death on your food than you are to to get shot by a cop as an African American in the in the state of Texas or the city of Houston. But there, his whole argument was there is this constant, ever, uh, ever quickening drumbeat of this is just the tip of the iceberg. This is all we see, and so he said that to me, and I said, "Listen, I know, I know that you know, cop 
violence has gone down against against um, unarmed black men. I know the stats. I said, let me give you a stat that maybe you don't know. He said, okay. And this guy, very open. He has a very strong opinion, but he's willing to have his mind changed or at least just hear other things. And he said, and I said to him, for the last 16 years, hate crimes monitored by the FBI have gone up every single year, and they're almost exponentially increasing. And they classify, they have different categories of hate crimes. So, for instance, I, and I know people can argue about hate crimes, uh, that all crimes are born out of hatred. Who loves someone you steal from? Um, but the idea being, these are targeting groups just because they're a member of a group, right? So when people spray paint pedophile on a Catholic church, that's a hate crime. There were like 1,400 individual instances of hate crimes against religious groups in 2019. And there were four times the amount of hate crimes against racial minorities. I said four times. So the religious group was number two. Minorities was number one. So you can imagine the religious group being like Muslims. You know, there's a Muslim uh, mosque that was shot up. You know, different things like that happened. But also the people saying all these horrible things, maybe stuff at Notre Dame where people are pouring blood on doors or whatever the heck they did. Um, those all get counted up as hate crimes. And I said to him, if you're an African-American and you're watching the, the, the country get more filled with hate, you watch a guy with a gun walk into a church, one of the oldest black churches in America that's still around um, in, in uh, Charlottesville, right? He goes in there. He does a Bible study with eight women, including the pastor, and then he pulls out a gun and shoots them all. I go, do you remember that story? And he said, yeah. I said, okay. What happened to that man? Luke, do you know what happened to that man? Uh, all, all of the family members of the people who died actually went to his sentencing, and they uh, all forgave him. When he, he went on the run, he openly... Is that, is that what you were going no, for? No. What did the <laughs> no, police do to this man? I don't remember. He was on the run for a, a day and a half. He eventually got caught. He was put in the back of a squad car, and the police officers drove him to Burger King and bought oh, him right. lunch because he said he was hungry. That's right. Yeah. Now, what's the difference between George Floyd, who, drug user, high, uh, at a place with a counterfeit $20 bill, gets the cops called on him. He resists arrest. The shooter... Though fleeing, when he was caught, did not res- he didn't physically put up violence against the police officers. But here's the deal. The guy has a cheaply made $20 bill. He's completely subdued. He's in handcuffs. His face is down. And he's screaming for his dead mother. And a guy has his hand in his pocket kneeling on his neck. Eight minutes and 46 seconds. So you look at that and I said, it's not that it's hunting season on black men from every white police officer. It's that everything has ratcheted up to this profound feeling of animosity and fear and anxiety. Everything has ratcheted up. So whenever there is yet another, the I can't breathe, uh, Eric on uh, out of Washington D.C. Like er, all of Eric these Carter, things, yeah. the the, yeah. the guy that was killed by the father and son. All of these different stories that come out confirm 
not just a narrative that's being peddled by state universities and politicians who get elected by pushing this stuff, but they also get affirmed by the general feeling of people. And when you have 4,000 mm-hmm. incidents of, you know, rednecks misspelling, you know, the N-word on people, it's two Gs, you moron, you know, and writing it on people's lockers at school or on their car in paint, you know, to add humiliation and degradation, you ratchet up the, te- the, the temperature is escalating. And so that's the thing that I was trying to get to the guy. I said, it's not that you're wrong. Right, you can actually hold to these two truths simultaneously. Mm-hmm. That there is increase in racism even though there is an actual decrease in cop violence against unarmed black men. Cops cop lethality against unarmed black men. Right? That's the only stat was the unarmed the the uh the black man was unarmed and the cop used lethal force. That's the only thing that stat refers to. Mm-hmm. But this woman in Buffalo mm-hmm. talks about she lost her job because she pulled a fellow police officer off of a subdued. There were four kids, one of which was black, uh, handcuffed behind his back, feet up against the wall. And the cop just went up to him after it was all over and just started choking the kid. And she pulled his arm off and she had to pull with force. And then he sued or he uh, uh, charged her and said that she attacked him and she lost her pension and all this stuff. So she's been suing it's like the Buffalo Police Department. But there are other stat like there is so much truth that could bring down the temperature overall, right? You you could you can bring down the overall temperature, but too many careers are based upon peddling a rhetoric, and too many real instances are out there in the world of actual attacks and racism and violence that they just build this whole cultural thing. And, uh, you know, and you're, you know, Minneapolis is defunding the police, which is a joke. Like, yeah, you need to have something other than a cop for a domestic violence, a suicide jumper, you know, like all this stuff. If all our repertoire is sending the guys with guns, you're going to solve very few problems, right? But at the same time, like this, this, this overreaction is not solving anything. It's just adding to the furor. And that's where I see there's nothing going to get done, and it's only going to escalate. I get a guy now every day because of the, the video that we did where we had a former seminarian who's the second, first generation American from immigrants from Nigeria, right? So Houston is black. He was a seminarian in residence. We just said, share your story. And he said, that when I came to the Woodlands, I had to think, 1488, how, much, how many cars are going to be here on the road, so I know I can be okay. If it's going to be busy, I can be okay. Like, I never have to think about that. And he has to think about that. This guy, now every single day, sends me articles about how evil Black Lives Matter is. Because he hates the fact that we let this guy share his fear. And that's the thing, is like, we're responding to extremism with extremism. Okay, so let me just go to the fact part really quick. Just get that out of the way. Um, when you're talking about facts and if you're going to adhere to them like they are biblical truths, which I'm not saying that is what you're doing, but like saying like this is this is reality. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's not. That's what that's what a, a um, study came up with. Like that's not necessarily reality. There could be so many different things at 
play to to come up with that with you know that number. So that you're you know, and and I think it's a very important point that you make that saying that like we've seen that you know there ha- perhaps there has been a de- decrease in um, black in um, black deaths from cops when the black person isn't presenting a, a lethal like situation or something. But there's so much stuff at play that I wish people would like take them with a little bit of like a, you always have to take it with a grain of salt, you know, because it's not always um, it's not like a biblical truth or like this is the way this is like the way like the way that it is, because even if there's only nine, were there two black deaths this past year? In an area where there have like two of those deaths come from a part of the country where there really haven't there haven't like been a lot, but things haven't kind of like bowling over, and now it's getting bad. You know what I mean? Like, it, so it could actually mean that things are worse in one area, but then better in another geographical area. And I have no idea if that is true or not. That's that's that, that's just an example of like people have to be careful with how we say like these are what the facts say. I'm like these are what studies say that are. Always, there are um, never going to be complete. There always are going to, you know, like, so you have to be really um, careful with that, especially if you don't know where it's coming from, how they did the research, you know, like all this other stuff um, with that, which is why I get annoyed with like Fox News as well as, you know, like MSNBC, really anyone who throws out all these facts without on the citing the sources, without explaining, you know, a bit more about like what they presented within the study, because it's, um, it's just, it's very incomplete. It's very incomplete. You know, so it's it's like the idea that when people say um, beer, you know, beer kills brain cells, but it's like beer kills beer kills brain cells in this one case in this one area with this one kind of beer in this one kind of person. Yeah, and then the headline is beer kills brain cells. It's like, well, yes, but no. You know, so that's 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 all that I meant. Um, and I think like. And it's also important to, like, with all that being said about the quantitative data, to look at the qualitative data. And what, one of the things that really changed my mind about police brutality being an actual issue with all this was just the fact that every black friend I have has a story. Like, they all have a story of, and these are people from across on the political spectrum, of being treated poorly by cops at one point in time. I've been treated um, poorly by a cop once, and it wasn't even – sorry, it wasn't even an actual cop. It was just like a campus – campus like security cop who was just a jerk who really didn't like me and called the Steubenville Police Department on me one time. <laughs> so, like <laughs> – and I said, go for it. I would love to have this conversation. And, um, <laughs> you know, and if I had been a black person, who knows how that would have ended? I don't know. You know, but, like – and I, I've, and I, like, I've thought about that because I'm like, that's how some people have to live all the time with actual cops. Just like uh, on this feeling of why does this dude have the, have it out for? Like this this guy, for whatever reason, I just felt like had it out for me, and I could not understand why. I actually told him when like all when like when like all those cops came, I said, I don't understand why you have a problem with me. All these other guys here who have been on, on campus have like never had an issue with me. And I actually asked them, like, have you ever had a problem with me before? You see me around all the time. <laughs> like, but you, you think I'm the worst thing ever for some for some odd reason. It was it was weird. Mm. Um Well that's what that's my point. My point yeah, is no, I, it's the overall temperature. Of everything. It's the increase in, you know, 4,000 
uh, acts of hate crimes in one year, plus the constant drumbeat that nothing is good and everything is bad, and plus the the answer of like here here's the other thing is it's it's just one thing that's getting blamed, right? Like it's just one thing that's getting blamed. I was talking with um, uh, my boy Joey, and Joey said that a barber to become a licensed barber in the state of Texas has to do about 1,500 hours worth of barber schooling training, and a police officer has to do 700. Once they finish police academy, there is almost no additional training. It is very rare. There's almost no reevaluation of people's psychology. Of their now, you contrast that with the U.S. military, where if people are in anything even remotely like an active campaign, they are training every other month. They are training all the time. Now, the military. This is where I want the militarization of the police. I don't want their weapons. I don't want their gear. I don't want their armored vehicles rolling down the street while they're you know doing this, that, or the other. But and, and I also don't want to ban um, – this is going to sound crazy. I don't want them to ban chokeholds because if a ch- – here's the deal. I would read the, the, eight, the eight continuum of violence, whatever, that's trying to be pushed out there. And you know it's written by a bunch of people who are not cops. And I know they might have had a cop advisor, but these are a bunch of people who have never had their life on the line, mm-hmm. hand yeah, on their gun, true. middle of the night. The other guy is trying to kill them, and you're telling me – I got to do, well, first I have to use a stern voice. You know, like, it's so patronizing, it's infuriating. Were it not for the abuse, were it not for the bad actors, none of this stuff would be necessary. But then you look at how you get trained military people, and they say, number one thing I'm going to tell you, those cops, like, if you have a cop who pulls their gun and is involved in an officer-involved shooting, some cops can never hold a gun again. Like they, their mind is shot. They're done. Shot. Yeah. They cannot yeah. emotionally ever do it. You have other cops who honestly could go back to work the next day. And he said, mm-hmm. he said the same. You find that in the military. He's like, I was at the yeah. I yep. was in the middle of the yep. Iraq War, and I had guys who, after six months, were like, um, "Do you need someone to go home, boss?" Like they couldn't handle it. And you had other guys who were like, "Do you need someone to go home? I'm fine. I can do another tour." There's a weird thing, and I don't know if this is necessarily a well. It, <laughs> There's a weird thing where some people actually come alive during intense conflict like, yeah. like that. In some ways that I would argue are good because they can handle the pressures of like war. Yeah. Yeah. In a way that's which is which is unfortunately sometimes necessary. And you need that. Yeah, this is why and you need that. Our buddy Joey, right? Goes to boot camp, tells me, Gormley, am I immoral? Because I'm sizing everyone up in the room and I'm figuring who would I have the hardest time subduing if they try to kill people. I said, no, you're not immoral. That's your job. If you aren't suspicious, you can't save lives. And so the idea around that, right, is this is why I'm so anti-war when it comes to this stuff. Because you have to form young people's brains, young men and women, whoever's in a combat role. You have to form their brains around, I have to be ultra suspicious and I have to kill you. So here's how this works out in my everyday life. Most people in this one section of my life do not like me at all. 
And these are the corrections officers that I interact with. Do you know why they don't like me? Because I come with library books and I come with Bibles and I come with materials for the very people that they are getting in fights with in cafeterias and having riot gear. I go to a very violent prison. Right, One time, one of my retreats was shut down because a teacher who teaches a class got brutally raped in the middle of teaching this class, and no one did anything. This girl was savage. This grown woman was savaged in the middle of this class, and only people that can go to it are people who are on their best behavior, the type of people who are allowed to go on a retreat. Right, So this is a violent place, and, and corrections officers are often very angry at uh, chaplain volunteers because they're like, they're the bad guys, you're doing nothing for me, and I'm the good guy. And you, you find out corrections officers kill themselves more than any other profession, mm-hmm. get yeah. divorced more than any other profession, are drug addicts and alcoholics more than any other profession. So I wrote an open letter. I said, I am un, it is unethical for me to serve you as well as those people, but please don't think I don't notice you. Please don't think I don't love you. Those guys have to be very cynical of the very people they have to protect. Now, I'm not going to begrudge that to anyone. I'm not going to pretend like that's not a big deal. But what I will say is we have to constantly train and retrain and recycle and psychologically evaluate our police officers. And the fact that individual officers, captains, and unions won't do it that is the downfall. So I don't want to defund. I want to refund the police, meaning strategically do this stuff. Do the stuff that the military found out actually makes for a more sane military force. But we're not even yeah. having that conversation, and it scares I, me. No, I think that's a, that's a really good point. Um, w- watch the movie Heat, if you guys haven't watched that before. <laughs> oh, gosh, I love that movie. W- what Al Pacino, I believe it's the movie he where Al Pacino explains some of the stuff that he saw that that day. Yeah, the baby in the in the microwave in the microwave, and just or how you know I've heard stories of cops when they've you know have gone to a house and they found a baby who's been trapped behind a bed. You have a toddler who's been behind a bed for hours because yeah. the parent is just passed out on drugs on the bed, and like you can't unsee that. You know, and when you think about what some of these cops have been through, it's horrific. It's horrific that we and ask I, I, them to go through to do. Yeah, and it just. Um, and I, I don't know if that's connected to police brutality or not. It very well might not be. We, you know, we can't say we're not psychologists, so we don't know. But we are human beings. And I think that we can say that that is very hard to go through and see those things. Most people aren't going to handle that well. Yeah. And if you're not trying to help those people process, find healing from those things, my gosh, like, what do you think is like, it just, it's how... All of this freaking stems back to the enlightenment. <laughs> Just like, like, but I mean, but really though, like so much of this, like, again, it's why I get angry when people say, if we just like, if we just, I'm a fixed, if we just, I'm fixed abortion. It would all be fine. No, like, no, like Lila Rose. It's not like, this is part of the same problem. Yeah. And Luke, I would say this, this is part actually, of the same problem. This actually goes back to what you said in the very beginning of the show, referencing art of Half the time, it's not about discipline. It's about your emotions. Your emotions. I'm quoting the guy who wrote a book called Discipline Equals Freedom, Jocko Willink, SEAL Team Leader. Oh, apparently he's not a really good person, by the way. Uh, Beg the devil. Just quick FYI. That was brought, brought to my attention by a person. So just FYI. Anyways, 
Listen, your heroes are dead. They're all in your head. Yeah, and, and, and I don't get a shit what anyone says. He's not my saint, right? He's a guy that I can draw <laughs> very poor. And I don't, and let me be very clear. I can disagree with someone on nine points out of ten and still recommend them and read them. Okay, I quote Nietzsche regularly. I think Nietzsche is a psychopath who died uh, crazy from syphilis and his godlessness. It doesn't mean he doesn't have anything important or correct to say. This is the thing. This Did is the extremism of our culture. I got 10 out of 10 things. You okay. don't dis- That's you disagree That's with me That's on fair. one okay. out of That's them. Fair. I'm annihilating you. Okay, I mean, Jocko Willink, the guy who's been in the shit, who watched people get gunned down. What is his number one thing? His number one thing is I have to watch my men because if they're cracking, they're destroying the mission of the team. You destroy the mission of the team. And for him, the mission of the team was step out of bounds of the rules of engagement. Do something to hurt the local civilians. If he's, He said uh, if you have – he's like in, in Ramadi you had extremists and you had normal people. And the problem is – you send an 18-year-old kid from, you know, Iowa, and you give them guns and you send them into that place. They don't know one from the other. The culture is so foreign to them. He said, our number one thing, my number one thing was build relationships with the locals. Build Because they're just humans. They're just humans. And the moment we just uh, we drive them up and annihilate and annihilate, he said, this is the number one problem with police. Police are trained with a militaristic mindset. They're going into a war zone. And he's like, you're not going into a war zone. You're going into a neighborhood where most of the people on that street just want to live their lives, want to feed their families, want to get a good job. They want to provide. They want to be decent people. He goes, if, a, if the most racist person sat down with you know, someone from a minority group they hated, like that one guy who's that journalist that goes to KKK rallies. I love listening to that guy talk. Um, I listened to a, an hour and a half interview with him when he talks about the first KKK rally or the first Klansman, head of the Klans that he ever met. And the guy was going to kill him, and now they're friends. And he's like, what, what, what changed the guy? And he said he never met a black person before. He had never met a black person before. And he's like, what, why is this Iraqi kid calling – or this uh, uh, you know, military kid calling uh, you know, Iraqis all sorts of derogatory terms? Because he never met an Iraqi before. He only saw the enemy. And it's like if you train your if, – if the police officers are put in such a horrible condition over and over again, guess what they're going to see? They're only going to see the enemy, and they're going to look out at the streets, and they're going to see a war zone, even if they're in the rough part of town. When you view the rough part of town as only a war zone, right, that does something to your mind. And he would say, that's the first guy you pull off the line. Nope, sorry. You're, not, you're, you're riding a desk, bro. You're done. You're going to go do the, uh, the victim's uh, you know, advocacy, or you're going to go, and we're going to rotate you out. He said, the most important thing I could do for my men was rotate them out. And we don't do that. We don't do that at all. In fact, the police unions are set up to not do that. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's a very good point. And it's, it scares me the most. It scares me the most because, and this is going to sound weird, how the mega, 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 mega corporations are all saying the exact same thing, right? Like you go on to Amazon, it's all Black Lives Matter. Now, again... I, I, I remember when Black Lives Matter started, I said, that is awesome. Because they're just saying, you're killing black men, black men's lives matter, black lives matter, come on. And then I remember this distinctly because we were preparing for a show, and I went on to BLM.com or .org or whatever it was, and it's like, this is not just about black lives. It's about trans community. It's about women of color. It's about all the oppressed. It's about Native Americans. And I was like, so it's about nothing anymore. It's about nothing. It's about everything, so it's about nothing, right? Like, w- what are we about? 
Who are we? What are we fighting for? And let's rally around that thing. But now it's become about communism and Marxism and Antifa and all this stuff. And it's like, well, guess what? If you actually want to reform police departments outside of, you know, Minneapolis, which has been run by exclusively Democrat mayors for decades, Seattle, which removed all their police from like (laughs) from the the town. uh, What do you call it? The city hall and let the rioters just take over city hall. It's like, what are they going to do? Run it? Keep your meetings? Like, Are they going to keep the city flowing? No, this is insanity. But the answer is not. Well, just pretend like let's just go back to the way it was before. That's not what I'm saying. And I'm done. I talk too much. Luke, uh, how about Marvel? (laughs) <laughs> no, I'm not going in the Marvel. Wait, wait Luke, what, um, what about Iron Man? <laughs> nah, there's nothing that's to be said. It feels like it feels like a different life, a parallel universe. A parallel universe where you um, and me are happy. I saw like uh, this is a, <laughs> this was a little bit crude, but I saw this one comedian that said that uh, she feels like that we're all, we are in the timeline where um, Marty McFly effed his mom. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, oh, my gosh. Of course, then he went by the name of uh, Calvin Klein. <laughs> Calvin, yeah, sorry. Calvin, it's all over your underwear. Um, <laughs> that is comedic gold it, right there. That's Yeah, oh. yeah. So, um, uh, hey, so, okay, me, so, so me and my wife watched Bill Burr the other day. <laughs> that felt good. <laughs> Let, let's talk about, uh, yeah, we should probably just find some... I, I mean, I I I, I want to say something really really quick. I I'm not um, willing to write off Black Lives Matter because of all of all of that other stuff, and I do understand the frustration behind that, as especially as it relates to things like freaking communism, <laughs> like Marxism. I am yeah. n- not cool with communism, communism uh, or socialism, unless you're Sam Rocha. Apparently, deep breath, Luke. Deep breath. Deep breath. More drinking. Yeah. <sighs> Not a, okay. So, anyways, um, my my point though is, uh, like, where am I going with this? You're not ready, willing to write off all of Black Lives Matter. We no, like, what did you think it was going to be coming from? You know, like, like, like the not like I'm you. This is just yeah, yeah. like me to yeah, like yeah. all of like. For so long, the conservative church and conservative has like, ignored this group. You know who wasn't. The communist, the you know environmentalist, um, like why did all Catholics be uh, become like Democrats when they all got off the boats? Because it was the Democrats who said, "Here's a place t- to live. Here's where you can get some health care. Here's where um, you can get this." So all the Catholics were like, "Yay, you're cool. I'm gonna become a Democrat." Yeah. Like that, that's that's when you know, like all the Republicans were, were all saying, "Go home." Now that's a little bit of like a no, not Republican, but. Yeah, you have a know nothing party and blah 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 blah. So it's yeah. a little bit oh, more the know nothing complex wow. than that. Yeah, but like what a wild time in our history, the know nothing. And so Ugh. there's thing of like, what did you think was going to happen? Yeah. You know, like so of course it's going to be picked up by people who are going to be behind you know LB LB um, GTQ and like uh, trans rights and all and you know like all and and all this other stuff and and like let's get into the mud with this. You know, because for like a long period, of, like why are trans people so unlikely to die at a young age? Why isn't the church there with them right right now? And it's hard. It's hard to have a conversation where it's like I was having this over the weekend where I was hanging out with a really good friend of mine who like who's a lesbian. And she was like, you're pretty, I'm like liberal Catholic, right? 
And I was like, um, uh, I'm like, I don't know. I don't know how to do this well. I don't know how to, how to do this in a point where you don't feel like you're betraying something that you're like. But I don't care either because we have to try. Yeah. And that's the thing like is, that's the thing is, as my buddy said, uh, who, who is, um, I, he's out, but he's a devout Catholic. He said, you know, Catholics have never yelled at me, beat me up, you know. He said, but they do wish I would go away. Like they, they gaslight me. Like yeah, they kind of yeah, wish. Exactly. And that's yeah, the thing yeah. that sucks. That's the thing yeah. that for people yes. who actually yes. evangelize and love people where they are, <laughs> where they're at. It is right? very difficult. It is because like I, like, so Luke, it's so funny you say that because I had a guy say in an email, I want to become Catholic. I'm thinking about becoming Catholic. My wife is Catholic. Um, she's very liberal. All my Catholic friends are liberal. Um, I don't know if the Catholic Church is liberal because I read some things and the catechism says some stuff. He said, but uh, everyone I know is liberal and they're all, I think they're good Catholics. I don't know. What do I do? So we start talking and he shares something that I thought was pretty interesting. He said, um, of all the different groups I've met, Catholics have been across the board the most accepting of uh, gays and lesbians and all the, all the people in those categories. That's how this guy put it. And he said, and yet I look around at my Baptist friends, all the guys who I work with who are super devout Protestants, and he said, and they have no space for them. And that's like that's what I constantly realize is we're not making space for gay Catholics and bisexual Catholics and lesbian Catholics and trans Catholics, black Catholics, right? We're not making space where they feel like they're, you know, yeah, you have to live differently than what the world says. But at the same time, you can still have an identity. I don't, I don't know what, I don't, I don't need, and I don't know how to do it. And it's just easier for so many conservatives to just be like, not even going to deal with it. But you and I can't do that. We don't want to do that. That's not, I don't, I don't want to push those people away and say, it's just easier for me to think my Catholicism through if I don't have to deal with you or if you're just the villain. And quite honestly, the majority of a millennial and Gen Z Catholics now getting your due, <laughs> um, they can't. Yeah. They can't. We don't have a choice because it's our sisters. It's, it's our brothers. It's our friends. It's, our, it's people we love. It's people we love. You know, and I'm just and and I know it's scary and it's weird and I don't know how to say. Well, actually, I believe that you know, probably like you know, blah 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 blah. Like, um, the, like marriage is is like I'm a man for like man and a woman and like you know, it's supposed to have like a procreative end and that's kind of why and blah blah you know and all this stuff and that like we're supposed to be like a gift to the other and it's biologically compatible to be a gift. So it's kind of this weird, um, philosophical, biological um reason. You know, like. You really, you really sold the tob on that one. I know, yeah, right. But like, but like, how do you? I yeah. mean, I don't know how to do this when no one can even freaking understand metaphysics. Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't, I don't. But like, I, I do agree, like a hundred percent with you. The worst thing we can do is nothing. Yeah. Or talk about it and never actually do it. Yeah. You said something you to know, me so, that really struck home with me, and I've been mulling it over. I hate it when you do that. Which is too often our Catholicism is lived in our heads, and we think that's what it means to be Catholic. And you had said that like a side comment, and I was like, Ugh. yeah, it's like you listen to a talk, then you do the small group processing of the talk, and then what? And then we had a, a, a person write in, a priest write in, saying he's at a church where they do tons of social justice work, the parishioners, he's newly assigned, 
And he'll have parishioners who say, I don't go to mass. I keep the Lord's day holy by doing, you know, by serving the poor. That's what Jesus would want. He wouldn't want me to go to mass and waste time in a church. He wanted me out there being his hands and feet. And Dave said something interesting. He said, give me an active church over a passive one any day, even if they're active in all the right ways, all the wrong ways. He's like, you can bring holiness to that group. But the people who are just passive will think holiness is just a talk I heard and agree with. And that's dangerous because there's a lot of conservative yeah, Catholics. Yeah. There's a lot who do. Like, I mean, at my church, it was very conservative. The people who run a lot of the ministries that serve the poor, the disenfranchised, the people who donate to St. Vincent de Paul, which every penny we get goes to a poor person. That's a single penny stays within the infrastructure, right? It's all set up to go out to the people. We serve the poorest of the poor in our community, and it's often by these conservatives, but it's off, it's so lopsided. It's people who have that notion in their heart. It's not just like a widespread, yeah, this is what we do for our neighbor. This is what we do it's for our It's not the norm. It's not the norm. Um, yeah. Or the norm is yeah. I'm, I'm comfortable writing a check, not getting involved. And that's that's true for me. That's true for a lot of times in people's lives. Maybe they're different. And, and there are times when you, that's all you can yeah. do. Yeah, and yeah. it's true. And it it's just... absolutely true. And I know people who love serving, and the idea of donating is, like, repulsive because it's like, oh, you write a check, and that's all good for you. And there's an element where that's true, and there's an element where that's a damn lie. Like, uh, writing a check is all I can do right now. It, You know, I've told this story uh, – multiple times on here, but it is my favorite story ever with a priest. It, well, it's it's probably top three for me. So when I went to uh, I went to um, confession and I confessed of the same thing and how it's just like angry about God and the world because I was because I was twenty seven and um and the priest just goes and I was expecting to have a whole huge thing <laughs> like I always, like I always get <laughs> and he goes well you just gotta keep no I think he just said keep keep struggling. And I was like, okay. And so, and we apply that to our own lives. That the best thing that we can do is just to keep, like, the most important thing. You, you're the saints. Talk about this all the time. That it relates to my own personal sin and my own walk with holiness to keep going. And I think when we think of that, of that like, um, walk in holiness, we think it uh, relates to, like, moral actions and our moral choices. But I think it applies to our social ones as well. You know, that to so that's why I'm not willing to write off Black Lives Matters, like the organization, even though communism really gets my blood going. <laughs> and as you can tell. And and no, no, no. And I, I get you. I get you. And I get what you're saying. And here's the thing. Here's the conflict is I agree with you. I agree with that. I think there are good and bad there just because I can't agree with everything about with everything with everyone about everything doesn't mean I dismiss Everyone and everything. Um, I, but I don't think it means that you have to be silent. Like I'm fine with this group yeah. either. Yeah, and I'm not. You know and I'm, I'm not, and I'm un, I'm unhappy not. because like even you talking about, you know, taking things with a grain of salt. This is what our our homeboy Thomas um, has really brought home. He keeps saying to me like he's he's a very conservative guy. He doesn't care. Like you know, he's hardcore Fox News guy. But the one thing he says is, okay, well, where, where do you get your news and how do you know you trust it? Where do you get your news? And, like, I think today it's the widest spread form of distrust of news. Of, of <laughs> Joe Rogan. Yeah. <laughs> That's where I get my news. Yeah. But think about that. The vast majority of 20-something upper middle class and higher uh, people got the majority of their news from The Daily Show. 
for yeah, 15 years. Me. And yeah. you well, especially when you were in college. Yeah, and then that you you push down. him, you push John Stewart, right? You push him on it, and what does he say? Oh, you can't take me seriously. I come after a show where puppets make prank phone calls. Now, you know, is John Stewart the smartest funny man, the funniest smart man, blah blah blah. You know, like there are there are levels of this where, yes, sometimes only the court jester can speak the truth, and sometimes only the comedian can get to the the truth of things. And I'm just, like, so conflicted with it because, like, I, I was just talking with a super conservative the other day at, at, at church, as you do, and they said, now, why would you quote the New York Times? And I said, here's the deal. The New York Times is biased. They are hardcore Democrats. They have always been Democrat. They only hire Democrats. I said the vast majority of journalism majors that come out of journalism school are Democrats going in and out. And so they go and see Republicans aren't seeking to become, you know, the young Republicans club or whatever they call it. The college Republicans. They're not going in for journalism. Journalism. Yeah, they're going in for. You see this with with sports writers as well. Yeah, right. right. Often, Often writers right, for publications, are, are left-leaning. So they have a cognitive bias towards left-leaning things. Someone said, uh, Paul Krugman famously says, uh, it's not that news journalism leans left, it's that the news leans left. But the problem is when 98% of people doing media are left-leaning, leaning, uh, it's always going to have that tint because you can't help your, your entire newsroom, except for the, the token conservative in this case. Often in a newsroom, they hire a conservative columnist, a conservative writer. Your entire newsroom is spouting the same interpretation of events. So it's not just journalism. It's uh, you know editorializing in the midst of journalism. And we're human. You can't avoid that. But the New York Times does things like they have an editorial which people confuse. This is one of the reasons why I think people hate the New York Times. They think that the editorial is the same thing as the journalism side, like the articles. Yeah, yeah. yeah. like they can. They don't understand. Like a columnist writing an editorial is something different than a journalist writing up a piece about uh, a piece of legislation that fell through or whatever. And there's the editorial, and then there's the op-ed, which means the opposition to the editorial. And it's printed in the same mag- in the same newspaper, you know? Like, they have ombudsmen. They have fact-checkers. And one person was attacking uh, the Washington Post, I think, was attacking Trump on some facts. And then someone said, you know, here's all the errors that the Washington Post had made. And they said, yes, and you can find every one of those linked to our, our webpage dedicated to all the things we get wrong. We pay people to dig up the stuff that we get wrong and to publish the errors. And that's the problem with a lot of this is, like... Journalistic integrity is compromised somewhat by the cognitive biases of people who just enter the field, people who teach the craft, people who plug it at its highest levels. But then you have the conservative activists who are going to actively take a conservative slant, not passively cognitive bias. And then you just fight back and forth. And it's like, well, how do I trust facts? You tell me I'm not allowed to. I have to take all these stats with a grain of salt. And I get what you're saying. Uh, a, a, A politician uses stats like a drunk uses a lamppost. For stability, not illumination, right? Like, uh, you know, to prop themselves up. And so we just keep coming back, and it's this circle that I think is making us crazy. <sighs> should we talk about the statues, or should we just wait? 
Ah, we should wait for the statues. Why did I ever think it'd be good to grow out my hair after Austria? I, I, I don't because it was new. Because like, it was new. Why didn't any of you guys tell Luke, me like after Austria to cut my hair? We told you, you never all told me the to time. cut my this hair. This is revisionist you, history. You're you a liberal Democrat. None of you ever told me to cut my Listen, hair. Listen, hey, that's what you did at the time. Raymond Arroyo's defense works. That's what you did. It's, it was a different time, Luke. People were different back then. They were murdering people. They were forcibly relocating them, and they were letting bald men grow their hair out long. 